Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. But how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars Speculation Podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away. Make Indiana Jones inquiries and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Find us on consequenceofsound.net or wherever you procure fine podcasts. It's the show you're looking for. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello to all of you splendid pod people out there. I'm your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another installment of This Must Be The Gig. Your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Each and every week, we bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of live music and performance. That could really mean us chatting to uh, musicians, a festival founder about the lineup and why they curate such a lineup, why they do this job, a choreographer, a comedian, an actor, really anyone obsessed with performance and live music and festivals and the live music and performance scene in the way that we are. But before we dig into this week's fantastic interview, let's check in with our constant Compiling here at TMBTG <laughs> Studios. Engineer Adam, hello. Hey. Hey, it's our catchphrase. When hello, you hey. get promoted from engineer to uh, co host? Oh, man. I think that's your job to decide. <laughs> so I think maybe, much pressure. maybe we should have like a performance review sometime in the next few months. Sure. Get back at me, see how you feel. It will be on the scale of how many pieces of sweeties you bring into the studio at a time <laughs> how many how m&ms many can i don't... fit in my pockets yeah Ugh. i don't want your manky danky m&m pocket m&ms so what's been going on uh i've just been here celebrating kendrick lamar's oscar know, nomination i'm so excited did you ever think we'd say kendrick lamar oscar nominee <laughs> i did actually i did what was that for well that was for best original song for one of the amazing songs on the Black Panther soundtrack. Yeah. Although I feel like all the nominations were kind of strange. I feel like they left out... Obviously, there's a whole controversy of why Oscars don't award any accolades to horror movies and why they have totally forgotten about things that came out in May. So there's a whole politics uh, that, you know, in terms of timing that impacts how it's viewed which i feel is ridiculous and while i was really glad that spike lee got nominated for the first time uh i was sad to see boots riley Mm -hmm. did not get nominated a lot of movies in general also left out sorry to bother you exactly one of the most fantastic and eighth grade eighth grade was fantastic and hereditary which i can't even say because i can see tony collette over there in the corner (laughs) i can see her I I i keep forgetting that was this year yeah, and the, I just, where's my man Colin Stetson's nomination? Yeah, exactly. That was one of the most unforgettable scores. 
even though it absolutely has haunted <laughs> the my being, my furniture, my bathroom, my kitchen. But let's get back to Kendrick, King Kendrick. King Kendrick. He's got some competition. Yeah, I He's feel going up against Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Who are Hollywood darlings right now. And I feel like it's kind of hard to beat that duo in terms of not necessarily the subse- substantive amount of weight in yeah. their duo-ness. I and think how I hear much... what you're saying. It's not necessarily that you're saying it's a better song. It's just that, you know, how are you going? That's That's star power. That's uh, attention. I also just feel like they could get it any year. It's uh, like, yes. this is not the time, you know? Yes. Although I love I love Lady Gaga. And I think that Bradley Cooper did an amazing job. And Mark Ronson and the crew on that song. I feel like... Give it to Kendrick. Give just it do to it. Kendrick. <laughs> just, just do it. Just do it. Do it. Um, but also in the realm of surprises, we got big announcements from two ends of the pop spectrum this week. Ariana Grande detailed the track listing of her brand new album. And we got some Vampire Weekend teasing new music. Uh, weird couple to put in one sentence. You know, you say that, but the more I think about it, the more I think they belong together. Ariana Grande and Vampire, Vampire Weekend. Weekend. No. I mean, I there's, some, there's seeing... some sweet simplicity to their music, but also some interesting complexity to the it. The other day, I saw on my twice a week check-in on Twitter, <laughs> I saw that there was a, somebody started a thread of hashtag what was the band that you saw when they weren't big yet? Yeah. And Vampire Weekend, I saw them... It was over. It was now eleven years ago wow. at Rockwechter in Belgium. Probably anybody who speaks Dutch, German, or uh, what's that? The official language of Belgium, French. I, it seems like it would be French. Yeah, I'm sure that I they are embarrassed by me. I can't even speak English, let alone <laughs> any of those languages right now. Anyway, it's probably pronounced Wechter, 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 Wechter. Anyway, it's an amazing festival. If any of you want to go to a festival in June, it's amazing. And I saw Vampire Weekend there. They were playing at the same time as somebody else. And there was nobody in the tent. They were playing at a tiny tent. Wow. And somebody turned around and was like, who the fucking hell are these bunch of dickheads? And I was like, this is an amazing band. That person had some real problems with vulgarity. Also, yes, very. If I spoke French, I would say something. I think my Omelette answer... Omelette du fromage. I mean, it's kind of cheating, but I got to see St. Vincent open for Arcade Fire on the Black Mirror tour. That's not kind of cheating. I mean, you know... When you're opening for a band as big as Arcade Fire were, even back then. But I think the question was positioned as a before they broke. Yeah. Well, it so, was St. Vincent, I think, immediately after the uh, Mary Are you sure album. Arcade Fire weren't opening for St. Vinny? I am 100% sure. Are you sure? I went to two of three nights at the Chicago Theater. Mm. The other openers were Electro Lane, if I'm not mistaken. Let's talk about this week's guest. The wondrous... The incredible, the Australian, incredibly talented. Oh, sorry, Courtney Barnett. <laughs> yeah, Courtney Barnett is incredible. She's this really amazing. Uh, I hesitate to say singer-songwriter because that usually conjures, you know, folky connotations. But she does have this really amazing focus on writing heartfelt but tongue-in-cheek and witty lyrics. Uh, she's, you know, she's got releases called Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit and A Sea of Split Peas. My, what, what, would you, what would your alternative title for that be? Oh, for me? Sometimes um, I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit. I would say Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Sit, But I'm Always Thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. But she really broke into the scene a few years ago with that album, uh, Pedestrian at Best. Mm. Maybe one of my favorite songs the last five years. It's just so raucous, but then also, I don't want to say funny, but that's that's always the line that she rides, is that she has this sort of brilliant way of 
pulling unexpected surprises that still hit an emotional mark. Mm. And kind of sarcastically, but in a really self-deprecating way. Absolutely. But allowing us, obviously, to enter into that and make fun of ourselves whilst doing so, which I, I think I is would really say important. That's a perfect encapsulation. Yeah. And then she also recorded an album with another person who that could be an encapsulation of, mm-hmm. Kurt Vile. 2017 they put out a lot of sea love that record we chatted about it a little bit during the interview i won't give much away but they were like on that album like two cute foxes darting around and playing in a in a in a little meadow i I don't know if that's like (laughs) i love that that is so perfect because that really describes the sound of their guitars too Mm. and really sort of wrapped around each other and chased each other in these little interesting licks and then also each of their voices is sort of lazy and, and uh, honeyed. I like it. I like that description. It's just, it's it's uh, intimate. I feel like both of them make music that is intimate but not uh, evasive. You and know? then she really doubled down on that feeling last oh year gosh. with Tell Me How You Really Feel, which hit those same notes but really addressed head on. That was one of my of favorite albums from last year. Really addresses the chaos and, and oppression of today's society without without changing who she is which is a really impressive feat and she's also been touring the world since but luckily we caught her while at home on a brief but much deserved break so in this chat we cover the concert from australian band magic dirt that opened up her mind the open mics that changed her world and also the experience of putting in the work instead of just waiting for art to strike and once you've heard the entire thrilling chat leave us a note about it on twitter instagram facebook at T-M-B-T-G pod. T-M-B-T-G pod. I feel like we say it fast every time. Let's slow it down. T-M-B-T-G-P-O-D. <laughs> but better yet, leave your best concert experience, your first concert experience as a five-star review on Apple Podcast uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We will shout you out here on the show. And one more thing. If you want an artist to appear on this podcast and be a guest then let us know lately we've had a lot of private messages about the different types of people that others are wanting us to to chat to and delve into their lives so let us know but on a public platform i got so that we can have a conversation i got three requests for aerosmith today oh okay what happened why are people into aerosmith today well i was thinking about that pink video the maybe, other day. It's a great it. fucking video. Maybe it's been Pink as my baby. Also, I hate that I've, I've dropped the U in color. That's oh, just a side yeah. note. If Sorry. anybody wants to know, it's because Americans don't, they have something against U's. Favor, color, neighbor. That's hogwash. Make any sense. Also, why a Z instead of an S? Or is it the other way around? Yeah, it's a Z. Anyway, of an S. you complicate my life, you. <laughs> <laughs> you Americans. So I'm actually officially from today. Not going to do anything about it. Hey. Just an observation. Anyway, tell me how you really feel. 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 <laughs> this is me and Courtney. Enjoy. Are you based in Melbourne now? Oh, no, yeah. I've, I've been in Melbourne for maybe 10, 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, it's so beautiful there. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of home uh, in Cape Town. I don't know if you've been to South Africa before. Um, no, I haven't. Yeah, Melbourne, like, uh, I think, what is that area that I stayed with my friend? It was uh, St. Kilda. Is that right? Am I saying it? Oh, yeah, nice. It's, it's like all beachy and really lovely and really calm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all I remember. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> so it's quite a nice moment as well to talk to you now because I suppose usually the a lot of press is done before an album is out and or obviously whilst you're on tour, which I know you're still touring and you have a lot coming up. But what do you – so other than being in your bed in Melbourne, what are you, what are you up to? Are you, is, this your, <laughs> is this your relaxation time or – are you still working? 
Um, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, I guess we start tour again next, well, this weekend. Oh, um, wow, okay. But, yeah, but this has kind of been, um, I guess it's been a break, a kind of break period, but, mm. um, yeah, I've, I've still... I still just kind of, I think I'm not 100% great at doing absolutely nothing. So, um, yeah, it's yeah I've been so kind of, I've got some things, um, projects and stuff I'm working on. Mm. And then, um, uh, like I help run Milk Records, a record yes. label. And, um, so I'm kind of at the warehouse a lot of the time, um, updating that stuff and, um, but yeah, I mean it's been good. I've been um I've been kind of learning how to take time for myself, I guess, and just like lie around and read books and um to turn my phone off and uh and that's a really nice kind of thing to do. <laughs> it's hot, but I understand. Like I I kind of uh, empathize with the fact that it's difficult to just do nothing, especially when it's the juxtaposition of doing nothing and your life is so largely extreme. So, you know, yeah. touring and all that kind of stuff is really intensified. And obviously when you're driven to make something, there's like this urgency. So when you have nothing, uh, it's kind of, I'm, I can imagine, I don't know. That's how it's like for me. I can't really just sit and just do nothing, which yeah, is it's difficult. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? I think I, I do that. I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. I've got so much on. I wish I could just do nothing. And then when I do nothing or You're when like, I have nothing on, I, like, yeah. run around, you know, pace pace back and forth. Like, what am I doing with my life? I mean, the great so, thing about creating and writing, and especially, as you mentioned, Milk Records and being involved and uh, there's uh, there's always that outlet for everything. So if there's something that you want to talk about, you just create a place for it to go. Uh, so when you're doing nothing, where do, where do you go? You know, that stagnant and uh, that staleness gets difficult. But obviously it is really important, especially you've been touring now for so many years consecutively, I feel. I don't know. Uh, I just feel like the one year I saw you not, at Splendor, in Australia, in uh, Byron Bay, and then I saw you like in the same year in Portugal, <laughs> and, I, and oh, yeah. I, you know, so that it's also time zones and a lot of touring, and also just the I can imagine also just creating is also moving, right? That just the act of creating is 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 also movement. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it's been nice. Maybe with that little bit of kind of. Um, time like downtime mm. I just I, I feel like I've been I felt very creative recently which is um which is nice and I don't think it's the kind of thing you know that turns on and off and um like I don't really believe in the perfect you know environment for being creative right um, okay I try to just always um you know, always be thinking and always be kind of working on something. Um, That's so interesting. Whether, you know, yeah. whether it seems good or not. But um, <laughs> I think then it takes away the pressure of like, you know, having the perfect room and the perfect desk and the perfect pen. And if you don't have those things, then then you're, you know, you're, you're lost. Yeah. Um, but it's been nice lately feeling extra. Do do you feel like you started out like that, having those routines and needing that special place to write or having, you know, peace and quiet in the home, whatever sort of writer rituals, if I can call them that, which sounds a bit gross. But, you know, those things that you pick up when you're first starting, did you feel like you started out like that or have you always just been very adaptable to your space? Uh, I think I've kind of always been adaptable, mostly because I've had to. Like, I've never really had a space that's consistent or, um, and, you know, there were, there were, like, years of my life where I was moving every year or, um, you know, moving house or, and then I guess I started touring more and, yeah, it, I think that, Maybe the only thing was um, that kind of like 
romantic idea of um of 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 you know letting the kind of creative like spirit come to you mm-hmm. and yeah. just how like bullshit that is um do you feel it it's is just kind of inst- yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the thing I realized was that you just need to turn up each day mm. and sit there wherever you are and try to do something and that's like that's being creative staring at a blank page try, like even mm. if nothing comes at least you're kind of um you know taking the step to uh to be there. Mm. Yeah, and that sometimes is really difficult, right? Because when you're feeling any sort of feeling, it's it's hard sometimes if you aren't really, you you maybe not in the mood or you you know exhaustion can get in the way. Relationships with family and you know yeah. friends, anybody that can get really in the way of that creative process. But I mean, that's nice to hear you say because I feel like a lot of people romanticize the act of writing, especially. Uh, artists and people in the public eye I feel like it's always quite a mystery you know people are like oh I walk around and it's just all the time and but I need that one moment and and so it's quite nice to hear that you know you think it's kind of bullshit which I I totally agree (laughs) I think the thing is like everyone is so different you know like there is totally no right or wrong way to to be creative because there's a billion trillion different ways and, um, you know, it's whatever works. And I think the thing is, as well, I have no idea what works or, like, how, like, I don't I don't know when the good bits or the bad bits of my creative um, life come. All I, all I know is that I don't know. Yes, and, and you're figuring <laughs> it out. That's the one consistent yeah. thing. <laughs> the one consistent thing is that I have no idea what I'm doing. So all I, mean, I can do it, is it's just working. keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Don't ever find out what you're doing. Uh, but I, I, I suppose I'm always interested, especially just hearing you now, in, in what a person really needs to do what they do. You know, like what what are the things that you have to have almost in order to write? Like if, if you can do it anywhere and if you can uh, show up almost – what do you what are the, what is the one thing then that you need? Um, is that a strange question? Because I was just wondering, and now no, we're it's chatting. a really it's it's a great question because when you really think about it, all you really need is a like a, a some sort of vessel to write. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, to record your thoughts into whether it's. A computer or a notepad or a dictaphone or a phone with notes. Um, really, that's the kind of only thing that we need. Um, and the rest is kind of um, excuse making. That's how I feel about myself. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, I can't write until <laughs> I get this, the ink for my yeah. typewriter <laughs> arrives. Like, which is obviously procrastination. Of course. You know, um, I can't write until I get this new desk. Yes. Um, <laughs> because at the moment I'm working on a, um, you know, one of those fold-out trestle tables. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, and, and most of it for me is excuse-making um, and and that kind of procrastination of... of um, knowing that if I sit there and write, maybe I won't come up with anything. So it's kind of like yeah. it all kind of stems back to like a fear of failure Absolutely. or a fear of, you know, not not producing anything. Yeah, because you kind of look back at your work and sometimes I find, especially with people who are really in touch with the work that they do from the core, you look back and you're like, "What? how did I create that? What is, what, you know, it's difficult going forward when you almost have that you have work behind you and you have a constant reminder of that work um but what is your relationship then to failure i suppose do you have you have you have you been conscious about having a better relationship toward it or do you use that as the fuel 
toward, you know, whatever you're creating. Yeah. I think it's a, like, consistent um, thing that's there. Um, Mm. And I think... I, I guess I've tried to, yeah, come to terms with what it means in the kind of bigger the bigger picture or like not I guess not to be afraid of it even though that's a really hard thing to do Mm. (laughs) it's easy to kind of say you know that you're aware of it and um not to be afraid but in reality I think so much of everything you know uh kind of circles around that fear of failure or not being good enough or you know people not liking you or yeah, kind of, I don't know, in a creative sense. Um, but, I, yeah, I think I am I, I, I am kind of, I do tend to be a kind of more negative person, but I try, um, you know, to, to kind of flip that around and just ignore it almost and just kind of get on, get on with it. As my positive friend always says, it's not negative. You're just being realistic. <laughs> it's like, she, <laughs> obviously, she's so positive. She tries to turn it around. But I mean, sometimes yeah. it is very good to have that self-reflection and be self-aware, especially when you're so creative and you're, as I said earlier, it's the type of artist and the nature of what you do. Um, things have mm. to be authentic. Otherwise, it won't feel that way, I'm sure, for you in the process. So... But it is difficult, especially nowadays, I can imagine, even just starting out now, like you've been doing this for a while now. Can you imagine starting out now where Instagram is such a massive thing, where, you know, streaming is such a huge thing, although that was still big when you started. Um, but I feel like there's been a huge shift where I can't even imagine being starting out now in the industry. You know, it must be really difficult and very very challenging yeah it's um it's kind of i guess yeah it's a big it's a scary <laughs> a scary world i watched this this doco yesterday um called um uh it's called dancing the invisible it's about um a film editor called jill billcock and um she kind of said this thing about I mean, yeah, she was talking about editing and editing films, but I, I kind of, she said this thing, how we're all editors and we, you know, we edit mm. our life and the way we present our life. And I was, you know, thinking about that kind of social media connection and um, even writing, you know, um, what we leave in and mm. out of our story and what Absolutely. we share with people. And it's... um. But yeah, I, I don't know. Social media lately just has made me feel so much anxiety. I know. I, know. <laughs> I just can't I like. Know. I can't do it anymore. I know. I feel. I feel exactly the same. But I feel like I've been struggling it since since it all started. So like, to whenever I joined Facebook all those years ago, and whenever I joined Twitter and Instagram. But I, I know that documentary. Wasn't she like? Wasn't she from uh, Australia? I don't want to say Melbourne, but I feel like she was yeah. from Melbourne. Yeah, she, in like the sixties or the seventies. I remember reading about her. Yeah, and but I haven't She's watched really the documentary. Cool. But I love that idea. Um, but obviously, mm. I, I'm not. I definitely don't want to get into a conversation about how terrible social media is because I definitely feel like it has. <laughs> nah, me you know, I definitely feel like it has a beautiful uh, way to connect people and give people who feel social anxiety the strength to speak up. But I certainly don't feel like I feel like it's really rotten at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, I, I, well, mm. at least I feel also just really like I don't tweet ever, which is like the worst part because like what I do is as is based on being you know tweeter a tweeter if I can call that (laughs) you know and I'm sure for you as well you have to just keep in touch with fans and let everybody know what you're doing Um, so do you just not go on it when you're feeling anxious or do you just force yourself to get comfy with it no I just I think I just do the 
yeah, you like just um you know, say when I'm doing shows and stuff. Yeah. So like the bare minimum basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that sounds that sounds fine. Again, it's it's exactly kind of why I started this show is because live music and live performance is something that doesn't give a lot of people anxiety the way that the digital world does. So um, I'm sure that, you know, somewhere people find a relief in escaping, you know, in shows and going to still watch shows because I feel like I'm glad that that hasn't died, you know, because everything else kind of has changed and people are still going to shows, which is... Everything yeah. you want, you know. Yeah. Were you involved with music um, when you were growing up? Because I've never really known when it all started for you. Yeah, I um, yeah, I feel like it's kind of been forever. You know, I started yeah. playing music when I was young and started writing songs around the same time and started writing poetry and little stories and, you know, painting pictures and... Um, I, you know, when I, I always just say around 10 because that just seems like a, <laughs> seems like the year it all happened. Yeah. But, um, you know, in school, I, I, I loved all that stuff. I love school. Mm. I love learning. And yeah, so I just, I always, I just kept on going since then. And I, um, I started kind of playing my own original songs when I was 18. And since you know, since then, I guess I was kind of a solo artist, I guess, and then was just kind of performing since then, and uh, trying to, you know, the trying to do what everyone's trying to do: make albums and tour and share your stories wherever you can. So that's kind of what I always, um, I, I just played all over Melbourne, and. Um, and yeah, I guess when I finally got enough money to like record something, I did my first EP. I put a band together, and then um, yeah. So I think you know, to to lots of people, I guess it's been the kind of last few years. Mm, yeah. Of um. Of your album. Being visible. Yes. Yeah, but um, and yeah, that definitely kind of you know took off and mm. and went everywhere and. But yeah, it's it's just been a kind of um, slow, uh, long kind of arc in my mind because you know it's it's just been going forever, and I learn more and more each day and each year, and it's um yeah it's it's I I find it really um, enjoyable. But you can tell, you know, just with the music you make, and especially when I'm when I've seen you play live, you can absolutely tell um, that you're you're so focused as well, which is wonderful to watch because everybody is like hanging on. You know, I just felt like um, people around me were really hanging on. A friend of mine actually saw you for the first time a few years ago, and he just was in tears, which I thought was. The best oh, reaction, because wow. I think he had been following you for a while um, around the EP phase, and then obviously seeing an artist live is really transformative. But mm. but at what point then did you realize you were an artist? Because I quite like the word when you're more visible to the public. But before all of that happened, before the albums were, you know, out into the world, when did you really realize that you were an artist, or that you at least could be an artist? I don't know. I, I maybe um you know it could have something to do with like that kind of um it's like I never allowed myself to um it's like that kind of self negative yes. um talk like I never allowed myself to I was, like to 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 be to be an artist or to be considered, I was like, well, I write songs, but I'm not a songwriter, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not good enough. Like, yeah. I'm not, um, you know, there's better people than me and, um, you know, that kind of attitude. And I think, I mean, you know, I'm sure lots of people feel that and um, it's a kind of weird uh, 
environment because so much of you know the stuff I write is <laughs> is me you know dealing with or coming to terms with these like kind of sometimes slightly negative inner things and then it's like this weird juxtaposition of of success from that or people liking it or or I mean the great side of it is obviously is people connecting with it in their own ways and um you know that that's um a really incredible outcome but yeah it's always this this kind of weird um this this weird like flip side of but yeah I don't know when I would have started I guess I just always kind of considered it what I do Mm. and that's still how I feel whatever title you know I put on it Right. The only thing I can do. Yeah. I mean, but it, it, it's it's definitely clear. But do do you have a first concert that you went to maybe around that 10 age? Or I'm not sure when when was the first concert that you ever went to? And, and do you remember it at all? I know it's difficult to go back in time. But um, do you remember that first mm. that first experience? I don't think I saw much music um, until we had music around the house, mm. um, like CDs, and Dad listened to a lot of jazz records, and you oh, know every amazing. Sunday he would like play play them really loudly, and <laughs> that was always fun. But yeah. yeah, I don't think I really saw much music until um, until I was a teenager. Um, I went to a few festivals. But um, even that was kind of sensory overload, um, you know. And a lot, it was more about being out with like friends and, of course, and um, yeah. you know, trying to trying to stand close to the boy I had a crush on, and um, <laughs> yeah, and 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 that kind of stuff. And then when mm-hmm. I was, I remember when I was eighteen, um, so like legally allowed to go to bars and stuff in Australia. I um, I saw. This band called Magic Dirt, who um, they're like a band from Geelong, just out of Melbourne, kind of like uh, I don't know, rock, grunge, whatever it's called, punk right. from like yeah. the '90s, and um, and um, just I think that was like a huge turning point for me because mm-hmm. it was this tiny venue, Adelita, she's like the front. Um, you know, singer, guitarist, um, and I was so close, and um, and I think it really, it just really charged something inside of me because mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's already what I wanted to do, but it's like seeing that made it more realistic mm-hmm. and close, and yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing, yeah. especially in such an intimate setting as well. Because I know that obviously different phases can influence how you, you know, how you've made art and how you've created over the years. So it's really cool that it was a local band. Also, that's also great to yeah, totally. to feel inspired. Because I know also from my position as well, coming from a small, uh, small ish place well I suppose coming from a scene outside of the world scene like outside of New York and London Mm. and LA um, do you feel like coming from outside a scene like that taught you a lot as well also just about yourself and how you approached it all yeah I think so and because that show that I saw was um it wasn't I wasn't in Melbourne then either yet it was um Mm. That was in Hobart, which was yeah, definitely a kind of you know smaller town, and um, lots of touring bands don't go there. Um, so yeah, and I think even you know people talk about kind of Australian bands having this um, different sound and different um, experience with the with the world and, and, and being so far away, you know, I think lots of bands don't even get to tour because um, it's so expensive and so far. And so, yeah, I think that that in its own way, I guess kind of like 
small towns or I I you know I think about it a lot but I I never kind of come up with a with an answer <laughs> I'm but sure people ask you thing... all the time I'm sure it's just but it is fascinating <laughs> yeah. you know cuz it's yeah everyone talks about it and it's really cool it's cool to kind of wonder but I think yeah there is that sense of it's almost a sense of um of carelessness in a way like you know um which kind of gives you the freedom um to to um you know to create something new and without um you know without feeling like it's it's going to be kind of under the microscope and some you know there is something maybe um really magical about it mm. especially because the industry in australia as well is is a working machine it's not like it doesn't mm. function just because it's far away obviously it's very exactly. expensive to tour around if you're a brand new band but you can still get in the car and there's loads of places you can play within australia but you know obviously you're not getting the exposure that most bands would necessarily want i suppose but that even yeah. takes people from America or the UK or Europe a long time as well. Um, but yeah. I like what you said that it's kind of secluded, so people are like free to just do what the, whatever the hell they want. I really like that because I kind of have <laughs> always wondered what the hell is going on there. Because when I first started listening to like Triple J back in, back when I was like living in London, I would like stream it. And I was just always mm. so blown away just because back in the day, Triple J kind of uh, was like an old enemy. You know, they, they really did. Yeah, um, totally. They did uncover some bands that I just thought all and, and they would give play radio play to bands that weren't signed. Which is something, yeah. you know, not not, you know, that's not what the industry likes. They like a, a very kind of cookie cutter brand. So... I always thought that was pretty cool. Um, but so mm. then what did you, when was the first show that you played? Was it also when you were 18? Because I know that's when obviously everything started for you. But do you remember that first mm. show? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a, like an open mic. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Cool. So that's, I did, I, that's how I kind of started, I guess, for a few years. Um, just, uh, me and my acoustic guitar and um yeah and I played my own songs and probably a few covers and um yeah and it was incredible you know and I did that around Hobart and then I I kind of did a couple of shows around Sydney and then I moved to Melbourne and I just kind of kept on doing doing that and I remember yeah my first I mean I was I, I was incredibly um, nervous. Oh, gosh, um, I'm sure. And, yeah, all those things. And, you know, I definitely wasn't, like, a, a great performer or anything, but um, there was something in it that made me want to keep going. <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah, I moved to Melbourne and would just kind of contact every single venue that did live music and ask them for a gig. Wow. And, um I just kind of kept on doing that. But I mean that that takes that takes a lot of confidence in yourself, but also maybe uh you weren't even probably thinking about it back then because I know that when you start when you're younger and you're starting with something there's that like fire and that urgency. Um definitely. But uh, yeah, I I just think that's wonderful that you started at open mics because those are so often like the place where people try new stuff or know that they're going to get booed or you know it's like a really volatile it's a volatile space but but at the same time like super encouraging mm. i think because it's other people in the same position most right, of the time yeah. like <laughs> you know they're they're the audience and the performers and um but but yeah it's funny like for someone who i you know i, I would not describe myself as um overly confident and in that it's all it's almost like um I think I had a few I've had periods in my life of bursts of um 
like bursts of confidence where I do things like that and it's kind of like all or nothing and I definitely had a, a few periods of not playing at all you know like I was kind of so depressed and down on myself that I just didn't do anything so um Okay, yeah, it's like a mix of those two things. But it's quite nice as well to go through that because otherwise I feel, especially because of the nature of what you sing about, if you don't have any sort of growth or any challenges, I, I can't imagine you feeling very fulfilled in the end of the day, whether it's low or high. Obviously, it's terrible to go through things um, that feel low and feel depressing, but I'm sure, I'm sure that there was a way out you know and again that's why you create you know mm. so how do you start a record label how do you get into that because that's obviously a part of the industry which a lot of artists um you know they don't go near because it's a it's a whole different machine so when when did you decide mm. to to do that well, I mean, I think I was, you know, my intention was to just do it in my own way, and I don't think I, um, uh, it, it, it started off small, and it was more just, you know, I made this CD, I'm going to mm. sell it. Right, and, um, <laughs> yeah. And and that's what, you know, that's what it was. And um, But I think, you know, I'd done so much by myself up until that point, and I really tried to um reach out and to to um to be part of you know communities or but I just I I didn't quite get there. I didn't quite get accepted or whatever it was. I mean not in a I don't Bad way. mean to yeah. say that in a bitter way, but yeah. I just I just hadn't met the right people or the right made the right friends yet. So yeah, we were kinda in our own little kind of circle of of musicians and and um, people putting on shows and it just kind of made more sense to um, to do it to do it that way because mm. there kind of was no other option and um, yeah it's been it's been incredible seeing it seeing how it grows yeah and it's growing all the time and I love how loyal people are toward it as well which I think is something that like we don't see a lot of in these days. So I think it's really wonderful what you're doing. And some of the artists are just really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you really feel like you've considered each and every one and they just kind of work together as well as a unit, which is quite cool because they're also different. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite inspiring to, um, to yeah. see and to be around. When was it? 2000 and what are we in now? 2019. So 2017, you did an album and obviously a tour with Kurt Vile and did yeah. that kind of change the pace for you as a performer? Not necessarily like what you learned from Kurt, but rather what did the experience of touring in a new unit offer? How did that kind of strengthen your, uh, you know, relationship towards your own creativity? Yeah, I think I think it was so important to me because um I I was in a real kind of negative um place and feeling very um uh what's the word? I don't know. Um but Uninspired. um so for that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just yeah, like oh, like uh n like low confidence, mm. you know, that was the main that was mm. the main thing. And um I think it's so important and I've always kind of my goal has always been to um to kind of do many different things and and kind of put put myself in in um lots of different positions mm. you know whether it's playing with different people or making different types of music or um I don't think that there's kind of any reason to um to kind of with something if it's not working so the tour was really incredible um just I guess because it made me snap out of that um mood a little bit and um I think you know I think even just 
working your brain in a different way. Um, and it's only slightly different, you know, it's not like we rewrote <laughs> the rules yeah, of, of course. music. But um, I think, you know, kind of having that, you know, obviously we were kind of sh sharing the kind of duo front and um, playing with different bands and playing different songs, playing his songs and cover songs and it just kind of that little bit of brain flex. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that's sometimes enough to kind of um, find like a new boost of uh, creativity. But I, I always found that uh, there's some obviously decidedly like deadpan, almost comedic turns of phrase that you use and unexpected uh, twists, how you how you twist your lyrics. But I always found it quite funny. And obviously that's the joy of creating when you are trying to find some sort of way to get out of things. But was I know this is a strange question, but I was just thinking now, does, was comedy something that you considered a direct inspiration at all to your music? Like, is, is that at all something that you connected to, the two and two together? Or do you just happen to uh, release and then people can take it the way that they want it? Uh, I think I think it definitely is an influence, but like not. It's never anything I considered to do. If that's what you mean, but yes. but and I, yeah, I think that comedy definitely you know provides a different insight because a lot of the time you know it's more serious than absolutely you know the most serious drama mm. um, thing, but it's just presented in a in a kind of way that says how ridiculous is this situation and that's why it's funny um you know whereas sometimes something that's really dramatic like a tv show or a movie um it's almost comical in in how serious yeah <laughs> and dramatic it, you know what i mean yeah. like it, uh, that's i think that's why the kind of sarcasm comes out in my writing because you'll be sitting there like hours on end, you know, dreading about something really serious and how serious the world is and how serious I am as a writer. And then it, it you just kind of step outside and realize how ridiculous the situation is. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, how ridiculous mm. we all are. Mm. And um, so it kind of provides this... Um, yeah, this other, this like flash of, of um, I don't know. I guess that's where the sarcasm comes from. Yeah, but I I, was, I also feel like the latest album, uh, which I love, "Tell Me How You Really Feel," uh, the one that came out last year. I can't believe it's last year already. Uh, but I've been yeah. having like New Year um, uh, PTSD still because I'm still not over the fact <laughs> that we've we've shifted. Um, but I w also felt like it was like a how do I put this like a guide like almost a way to get through things even though they you know still potentially terrible um and obviously then going if you're in the middle of tour and you're feeling like things are you know not really going your way how do you then shift out of that because obviously I'm not expecting you to have all the answers but I think because of the type of music that you make and you you know are so acutely aware of your surroundings and curious as well how do you then shift out of feeling uh, beat down or challenged or you know when the touring starts to get a little bit much how do you really get out of that I don't know yeah I joked I kind of kept joking while I was writing it that it was like it sounded like a self-help album yeah <laughs> yeah that's kind of how it felt and it's, but it in kept, a good way every time I would read read some lyrics back it that's what it sounded like yeah so so when you when you are then touring do you have cuz I know that you mentioned earlier in terms of obviously writing whenever it, it's coming and you just want to make sure that you are there to facilitate that then when you're touring do you have any sort of I don't know I'm always interested in superstitions or not what you do before the show but almost what you do after a show I find those moments are really special so is there anything specific that you do when you're performing maybe after a show or if you have a certain not really you know like um 
it's 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 pretty um low key. Mm. Um, okay. And it's normally I kind of come off stage and just need to sit down and kind of gather my I'm normally really out of breath and sweaty and <laughs> quite exhausted. Yeah. Um there's been a couple of I'm not like majorly superstitious or anything either. Uh but there's been a couple of times like bigger um occasions or you know something I'm really nervous about where I might put something in my pocket that you know that holds um special meaning like re- a couple of times recently I I had this um I put this badge in my like a you know like a pin like a badge um this uh that Patty when I I did some shows with Patty Smith a few years ago and she um oh my gosh she gave this badge to me oh. and um and so you know sorry I'm having a, a reaction like... because it's Patty Smith I mean that's that's crazy what is it it's just like a you know it it's it just says like Patty Smith horses or something yeah. like that like it's one of those literally like a fifty cent badge but because she gave it to me backstage when she met me or when I met her, um, you know, and she said, here, have this. And <laughs> and so it just holds <laughs> so much, uh, you know, there's so much around it um, that goes into it. So it's just a funny little, sometimes I, I put that in my pocket if I'm having a, a bad day yeah. or a, you know if I'm really anxious about something that's so wonderful and I'm sure she'd be so happy to hear that you're doing that as well but there is such power in like little things like that I, I just feel especially when it comes from somebody as influential as her I think somehow maybe some of her energy has shifted into that little thing and definitely it's quite, yeah quite comforting also for you just to mm. have it with you um, yeah. and, and I know that we have to rush off soon, but I, I wanted to ask about the, uh, you mentioned, I don't know which social platform it was speaking of social platforms, but you said that, um, there was this initiative called support act, uh, which obviously provides, oh, yeah. uh, support to artists in the industry. Do you, uh, can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? Just cause I found it so interesting. Um, especially coming from an industry in Australia like that. What what does it do? Yeah, it's um, support act. It's I think that it's it's pretty much for yeah people who who work in the music industry, okay. um, whether it's musicians or you know behind the scenes mm. crew. I think and um, yeah yeah it it offers kind of counselling and um, you know support, but also. Um, but also, I think like people who have fallen on hard times. I know, you know, um, some like a, a musician who might have had cancer and passed away, and um, and their family. Um, you know, sometimes they raise money for the family of that person right. to kind of help support them, and it's really, it's a really incredible. Um, organization i think and i know there's similar ones around the world like in america i think there's um music cares um which i know like the grammys do stuff for or maybe they started i don't know but um yeah i think it's really important because obviously people in the music industry are kind of susceptible to um to well i mean everyone is but but yeah kind of creative and and vulnerable uh people sometimes This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts 
Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.